I want to take you to a very familiar story in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 4, beginning in the 35th verse. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you'll see the word of the Lord on the screen. The Bible says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, he was already in the boat, so they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water. And check this out, verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a posturepedic pillow. Frantically, they woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? And when he woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Quiet down. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? In the final verse, 41. And they were filled with awe and said among themselves, I love this, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Come on, somebody give God praise in this house. This morning, I want to talk to you with this thought in mind, screaming in the storm, screaming in the storm. Would you stretch your hands in my direction and ask the Lord to help me? Because I feel, I feel tired, but I feel His anointing. Father, this is not about JC. It's never been. I pray that the cross of Jesus Christ would stand before me. That I wouldn't be seen, but that you, Holy Spirit, would be seen through me. I know what you've spoken on my heart. I've been convicted by this word there's been storms that i've faced in my lifetime and i probably not passed every test that you've sent but i pray for every person under the sound of my voice this morning that is in a storm would they realize that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us that you're with us every step of the way help us this morning lord Not so that we can just get uh, an emotion on the back of our neck and feel a tingle run through our spine, but so that we can understand that even in life's most difficult moments, you're just as close as the very mention of your name. So this morning we say, Jesus, Jesus, in your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. This uh, started out like any other ordinary day across the lake for these men. I told you before that Pastor and uh, our family had an opportunity to go to vacation a couple of weeks ago. We went to Destin, Florida, more specifically Okaloosa Island. And each year when I go to the beach, there's one thought that uh, I just continue to have. It's not so much on my bucket list, but something that I've just always really wanted to do. I've always wanted to go deep sea fishing. But there's always been this uh, fear inside of me that I'm going to get, you know, an hour and a half on the Gulf of Mexico. 
all of a sudden the wind's going to start turning, the waves are going to start growing, and I'm going to start throwing up. Well, I made the ridiculous, you know, comment to my brother-in-law, Edward, that I've always wanted to go deep sea fishing, and that was it. Game over. I could have come up with every excuse in the world, and I attempted to. The closer we got to, you know, uh, leaving from the dock, I came up with the excuse I didn't have enough money, and he called me a liar. Told him I wasn't feeling well, so he called his pharmacist back in Atlanta and asked him to call in the patch for the behind the ear, the Dramamine patch, so I couldn't have that poor excuse. On Thursday night, we were leaving to go fishing on Friday morning. The battery in Kimberly's car died. I tried to blame it on that, and he said, that doesn't even make any sense. I'll drive us down there. So at 5 a.m., we make our way down to the pier, and we load up on this boat. And when we get on the boat, Edward says, look around, man. There's women on this boat. If they can do it, you can do it. And I said, you're a sexist pig. We get out on the boat and six hour trip and we make our way down the Gulf of Mexico. We leave har- the harbor and we're making our way through and I- I'm feeling really good. I'm excited about what's going to happen. And then the mate on the boat begins to tell us how today is relatively calm compared to yesterday. And then he goes into detail of how, you know, some of the waves uh, were topping six to seven feet in height. And he says, the whole boat was rocking like this. And all of a sudden inside of me, I felt it coming up. <laughs> we got to the fishing spot and I knew that once we kind of just stopped the boat that I would be okay. And we fished there for ten minutes and he said, the fish here aren't big enough. Let's keep going. I just wanted him to pick a spot and stay. I didn't care at that moment how big the fish were. Just let me fish. We kept moving four hours into the trip. I really did okay. But then the last two hours, Lord Jesus helped me. I laid face down on that boat. I went inside the cabin. I put my feet up in the air. I put my head between my legs. I pray, I've never prayed in the Holy Ghost like I prayed in the Holy Ghost. I can only imagine being in the middle of, you know, the, the, the Gulf of Mexico or any body of water. And then all of a sudden a storm just come up. Now, for this day, it started out like any other day for these guys. In fact, the disciples were probably extremely excited to get away from the swarming crowd. See, leading up to the story in the Bible, Jesus and the disciples, they were on a preaching and healing mission. They were moving from town to town. You remember some of the people that they came into contact with, like a man of the name by Blind Bartimaeus. And he said, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And instantly Jesus restored his sight. You remember the maniac of Gadara and how he was bound and chained up. And he was so crazy and demon possessed that he ripped out his own hair. But just by the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden the demons begin to flee. And so these guys, uh, they were on this healing and this preaching mission with Jesus. And everywhere they went, the crowds were sure to follow. I mean, Jesus surely must have had a Twitter account because everybody knew where Jesus was going to be. So finally, they had an opportunity to get away from the crowds. And so Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And they get in the boat and they are excited that the crowds are finally going to die down. Because sometimes these crowds could be so suffocating. Everywhere they went, people were there. So they get out on the boat. And on this particular day, things quickly went from good to bad to worse in a matter of moments. Isn't that just like life? You wake up, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and then all of a sudden you look at the thermometer and realize it's 7 a.m. and it's 115 degrees here in Noonan, Georgia. 
you know then it's going to be a difficult day. For some of you, some of the days that you've encountered recently have been as small as just going to the driveway of your house and putting the key into the ignition of the car and realizing that it won't start. And so you think, well, my wife must not have shut the door all the way, so the battery's just dead. And then you take it to the shop. Not only is it the battery, but now it's the alternator as well. And you're a few $500 into the process. It can go from good to bad to worse. You get to work and the boss tells you that he wants to have a talk with you. And so in the back of your mind, you know that you've been doing what you've been supposed to be doing. And so you anticipate some type of increase in pay only to be handed a pink slip. The company's downsizing. and You're on the outs. Somewhere along the way, things seem to be going fine with your finances. Every bill is paid. Every need is met. But then an unexpected occurrence happens and a financial crisis shows up on the scene. You know these storms that I'm talking about. Everything seems to be fine and then all of a sudden you're the doctor and the doctor gives you the report that you never wanted to hear. Uh, This week at camp had an opportunity to pray for a 38-year-old husband had two little kids. He wasn't at the camp. But the need was presented to us on Tuesday evening. He had coded three times because of brain cancer. The cancer actually started in his tongue, worked its way into the sinus cavity, and then a tumor formed on the backside of his left eye. And then the cancer continued to move into the brain and then into the brain fluid. They told him that, well, they told the family rather he wouldn't make it through the night. He just started feeling bad and went to the doctor and they said, you've got... You've got cancer. I'll tell you that 250 campers got together on Tuesday night and we begin to pray. We begin to seek the face of God. On Wednesday morning, the pastor of this man's church came back to the camp and said they transported him from one hospital to another. They redid all the tests. They can't find cancer anywhere. One time... He coded for three minutes, and now they can't find cancer. I'm reminded, although, you know, she's not here because of the situation, and I don't want to exploit anybody's circumstance, but if you're on the prayer chain at the church, you see some of these storms that come up out of nowhere. And Rachel Addis, she helps in the media department. Her brother wasn't feeling well. They thought that it was pneumonia, so he went to the doctor, and they told him that he had stage 4 colon cancer, I believe. I talked to Miss Ann, and again, Miss Ann, I wouldn't put you on the spot for anything, but this morning when we talk, tomorrow will be seven years since her wonderful husband, Brother Greg Jackson, went home to be with the Lord. I told her, I said, that was probably the most difficult day of your life, and she agreed without hesitation. Uh, Miss Sheila, I see you nodding your head back there. It wasn't too long ago that doctors gave you a negative report in your body. The storm came up out of nowhere. Sherry, I know the same to be true for you. And if we had time, you could, you could testify over and over again of how things seem to just be going according to schedule and according to plan. And then out of nowhere, the day goes from good to bad to worse. Health problems. Somebody that you love dies unexpectedly. Next week will be, if my math serves me correctly, 19 years since my father died from a massive heart attack. I was 12, almost 13 years old. It was the middle of the night, July Ninth was the date, 1994, I believe, and middle of the night, we got a phone call that my dad had 
made his way. He was a truck driver, over-the-road truck driver for 27 years. And the one prayer that he always prayed that I remember was is that he didn't die on the road. They told us that he had made his way to a Holiday Inn, checked in for the night. And this is what he told the clerk working at the, the hotel. He said, I just want a good night's sleep and a good warm shower because in the morning I'm going home to see my family. He never woke up. Gone in a moment. I remember at 12, almost 13 years old, sitting on the piano bench. Asking my mama why. Why did this storm? Now, I didn't use that vernacular in that moment. But now, reflecting, I realize that it was a storm that my family and I went through. Why do we have to go through those difficulties and those challenges? Let me tell you, sometimes these spiritual storms can start to build momentum and you can anticipate their arrival. Sometimes you can see these storms brewing and you know that they're coming. But then there's other times that these storms don't show up on the Doppler radar system. Out of nowhere, they blow in and then they blow up. Help me, Jesus. This day was ordinary until the wind started to shift. I want to show you just a couple of pictures for a moment. Because I find it interesting to note that the Sea of Galilee, which these men were on that particular day, is 680 feet below sea level. It's 100% completely surrounded by hilly terrain. And so because of its location, winds in the area around the water could quickly intensify and sometimes evoking surprise storms of enormous strength. Now, as you know, many of the disciples were veteran fishermen. They had traveled these waters before. You better believe they had seen storms in their lifetime while they fished to make money. But this storm was different. This storm was more challenging. This storm was like none they had never ever seen. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that water begin to fill the boat faster than these men could bail it out. And then the pros panicked. Let me tell you real quick. This thought dropped into my spirit about 1230 this morning. Look at it on the screen. When panic arrives, fear sets in and hope walks out. When panic arrives, fear sets in and hope walks out. Now, I'm no mathematician, but I do know that panic plus fear equals hopelessness. When you combine panic and you add it to fear, all hope is then lost. And these men, they became afraid. They were terrified that they might not only sink, but even worse, they might die. And then to make the whole situation even more crazy, the disciples were furious because Jesus was asleep on the back of the boat. He's out taking a nap with his head, the Bible says, on a cushion. And these disciples, although the Bible doesn't give us all the details, only the highlights, these disciples must have thought to themselves, how could he sleep in the middle of the storm? 
How could it be quiet in the middle of the storm? They were furious with him. They could not believe that their master was so out of touch and that their master was so unconcerned with what was going on. So they did the only logical thing possible. They started screaming. Help! Lord Jesus, help! I want you to know something about Pastor JC, okay? When I'm asleep, I do not like to be disturbed. That's kind of my time. I'm a heavy sleeper as it is. I can sleep through many storms. But ever since Lakeland came along, he doesn't understand the concept of letting daddy take a nap. There are no naps. And there are, somebody told me the other day, they're like, now I'm going to call you about seven in the morning. Will you be up? I just started laughing. I was like, honestly, either you don't have kids or it's been a long time since you've had them living in your house. He's two and a half. We will be up. We would have watched the same movie about three times by 7 a.m. We're going to be up. When Lakeland wakes me up from a nap, he doesn't just be like, daddy, daddy, daddy. No, 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 no. Out of nowhere, homeboy's coming top rope with an elbow right down on me. Somebody help me out. When I wake up, I'm angry. I'm unhappy because I was tired and I needed a nap. But Jesus, when he wakes up, listen to me, he doesn't yell at them. He yells at the storm. Verse 38 tells us that they frantically woke him up by screaming in his face. Don't you care, Jesus, that we're about to drown? See, the disciples didn't really care about being respectful in that moment. Normally it's rude to wake somebody up, but they were in the middle of a storm and they were about to die. And once the disciples wake up Jesus, he commands that the winds, he commands that the waves calm down instantly. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that the storm ceased and stillness swept across the sea. I want you to go in your mind with me and picture the disciples on the boat. On that day, standing there in that flooded boat, when all of a sudden the sun started to shine. These men, wearing their rain boots and their raincoats and their umbrellas, having a pail in their hand, trying to pull the water out. And in one word, Jesus said, peace. And then all of a sudden, their jaw dropped at the miracle that had just t- taken place. At one word, Jesus says, peace. And watch this. You, you got to check this, okay? This is, this is my introduction. We're, we're going somewhere, I promise. I got three points I'm going to pray for you. But as soon as the storm stopped, within moments of the storm passing, Jesus questions their faith. Moments of the sun shining in all of its glory and now the birds out singing. He questions the disciples about their fears, wondering why they didn't trust him to begin with. You know, it's interesting because when we read a story like this, you know, we think to ourselves, how ridiculous. I mean, Jesus is with them. I I don't have a whole lot of time, but I, I do have this thought. If you were given the option between Jesus in the flesh versus the Holy Spirit. Initially, Pastor Calvin, our thought would be, give me Jesus in the flesh. I want Jesus in the flesh. 
Imagine if you had a headache, but Jesus was in the flesh. You could be like, Jesus, I got a headache. He'd be like, your head hurt us. Thou was no more. Done. Imagine Jesus with you in the flesh, Brother Sammy. You could be walking your dog at the park. All of a sudden, a driver runs over Skeeter the dog, and you cry out, Jesus, Skeeter is dead. And he says, Skeeter, barkest again. Imagine Jesus in the flesh. If you had a cat and your cat got run over, Jesus in the flesh could do the burial service. Bury that cat. Ain't no cats coming back to life. I don't want no cats on this earth. Bury the cat. Somebody help me preach. Sorry to the cat lovers. <laughs> Jesus in the flesh looks like, hey, this is a good idea. Imagine if I was supposed to feed all y'all hungry people today, but all I had was a bag of Doritos and a half-eaten grilled cheese sandwich. Jesus in the flesh could take it and multiply it, and everybody would take some Doritos home to the family. But the Bible tells us in John that it's best for us that he goes. Because if he goes, then he can send us another, listen to the word, comforter. Now, when we read the story, we find it a bit ridiculous that these disciples would be so afraid of the storm. I mean, Jesus was literally on the boat. Then why do you doubt God in the middle of your storm? Why do I doubt God in the middle of my storm? Now, Jesus isn't there in the flesh, but he promises us us something even greater. The power of the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to counsel us and to convict us. And in verse number 40, you'll see this on the screen. Jesus basically calls the disciples cowards. Cowardly Christians. This is what he said. Why are you so afraid? Do you still emphasis on still? After all we've been through, after all you've seen me do in and around you, do you still not have faith in me? After every time you've fallen and I've picked you up, after we've gone through every mountain and I've carried you through every valley, somebody help me preach, do you still not have faith in me? And me, some of you are going through some storms. And I'm just trying to help you this morning. Uh, My mom went in for back surgery on Wednesday evening, I believe. It's been a long week, but I believe it was Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday evening. It was going in to fuse one of her discs in her back. She suffers from degenerative disc disease. She struggled with it for a long time. So they told her that it would be a laparoscopic type procedure. And when they got going, they realized that it would be much more complicated. And so they had to open her up. And from there, they recognized that there was even a greater challenge and a greater challenge. They told her that she would go home that day. She's still in the hospital today. After the surgery, there began some spinal fluid leak in her back. And she began to vomit profusely and intensely until uh, the most horrific headache, she said, came on. And so now not only the pain of the surgery in her back, but then the vomiting and the headache and all of that combined simultaneously. She literally told me, she said, J.C., I think that I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. And I told her, I said, Mom, you know, because I'm, look, I'm thir- I'll be 32 in September. I'm still a mama's boy, okay? And I'm all right with that. I said, Mom, even though I'm a few hundred miles away, I believe that if you have faith in God, that he can reach his healing hands down into that hospital room and he can touch your body. 
And I'm trying to tell some of you this morning that are dealing with some storms in your life. You still have to have faith in God. Okay, when I, when I read this story, there's a few things that I want us. Hear, hear my vocabulary. A few things that I want us to learn about these storms. Number one is this. Don't be surprised by the storms. Don't be surprised. There are Christians. Now, you've got to hear me preach before you just cast judgment on me, okay? But there are some Christians that actually believe that they are immune to facing all that life can throw at them. They truly believe that if they pray hard enough, that if they fast long enough, That if they read enough scripture, then they will be immune to the storms of life. I'm not sure what Bible they're reading, but it's not this one. When I read this Bible from cover to cover, he never told me that it would be easy. He just promised me it would be worth it. Don't be surprised by the storms. I mean, you can ask Job. Ask Job about these storms. One storm after another, after another, after another. I think it's important to know this. That these disciples, they were engulfed by the storm while they were in the very presence of Jesus. In the presence of Jesus, the storm still showed up. Well, that answers all your questions about, well, why? I've been paying my tithes. I've been going to church. I've been faithful. Right? I've been consistent in my prayer time. I've been reading my Bible and now you want to do this to me, God? Don't be surprised by the storms. Let me tell you this. You'll see it on the screen. But just being close to Jesus does not exempt us from experiencing all that life can throw at us. Let me tell you. Jesus doesn't give us a free pass from experiencing the storms. He doesn't give us a free pass to say, well, you've been good and you've been faithful. So in the month of July, you're not going to have any difficulty. You won't have any struggles. You won't have any storms. Just go on and enjoy life because you've been a good little Christian. And so because you've been a good little Christian, then I won't allow any storms to blow in your life. Let me tell you why Jesus doesn't give us a free pass. It's because through those storms, we get to experience his faithfulness. It's through the tragedy, it's through the trials, it's through the difficulties that we get to experience the faithfulness of God. If every time that God gave us a free pass, how could we ever grow in our faith? I do want to tell you though that following Jesus does mean that you can bypass some of the self-inflicted, stupid storms that you and I cause. Not every storm is, you know, some spiritual storm that the enemy is thrown at you. Sometimes it's your own fault. Sometimes it's my fault that the storms are coming. So when we follow Jesus, absolutely, that means that we get to bypass some of the self-inflicted storms. But just because we're followers of Christ does not mean that the storms won't come. If you aren't in a... Pastor said... Let me tell you. This this word was brewing in my heart. And then pastor said these words last Sunday when the voices of Lee were here. And I leaned over to Pastor Jeff and I said, I'm preaching that word next Sunday. If you aren't in a storm right now, you probably just come out of one. 
or you're about to enter one. If you're not in a storm right now in this moment, you probably just come out of one or you're going to walk into one. In Psalm 23, the psalmist David wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalmist David didn't write, hey, even though I get to bypass all the valleys. No, David knew about storms. David knew about trials. And he knew better than to say, hey, I get to bypass these valleys. But he says, I've been through the valleys. I've been through the storms. And the Bible considered David a man after God's own heart. So you better believe that just following Jesus doesn't exempt you from the storms. Don't be surprised by them. They're coming. They're going to happen. When I read this story, let me tell you what I learned. I love this. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you get out of the storms. It just means you're not in the storms alone. Oh, come on. You can do better than that, somebody. Somebody ought to testify with your hand clap. To know that through every storm that you face, because of your faith in Jesus, you haven't walked through those storms all by yourself, but He was faithful in His promise that He's never left you and He'll never forsake you. Being a Christian doesn't mean you get out of the storms. It just means you don't have to walk through the storms alone. But these disciples, they panicked. They panicked because they had forgotten that the very Creator... That the very creator of the winds and the waves was sitting on their boat. Let me tell you this. Jesus will always be on your boat. Somebody help me out. Jesus will always be with you every single step of the way. Even when you feel like throwing in the proverbial towel. He says, don't you quit. Don't you give up. I'm with you every second of the day. I'm telling you, Jesus will always be in your boat. And when those storms start brewing, the Holy Spirit gets moving. Even when you cry out and you've got nothing to say, you better believe that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for each and every one of you. That Jesus Christ himself will pray on your behalf. Don't you be surprised by the storms. They're going to come. But when the storms brew in, blow in, you remember that Jesus is always on your boat. Jesus is always with you. I don't want to bore you, so I'm going to hurry, okay? Number two, I want you to realize that God does care. He does care. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've felt this way before, that He doesn't care. You've forgotten me. You brought me to this, and now you're leaving me hanging, God. I've always learned that if he brings you to it, then he'll bring you through it. But there's been times where I felt like he's brought me to it and then he's left me. I've cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, where are you? And there's been no reply. I've often wondered, do you care about me? I've even played the clergyman card. Oh, now it's even better because I'm a bishop. Jesus will never, ever make a bishop feel like he's not around. I'm telling you, ministry is a very lonely place at times. I've questioned God. I've thrown up my hands. Where are you, God? 
Why don't you care about JC? I've asked this question and maybe you have too. Why can't you just step in and fix it all? I've cried out, God, you can do more in one moment than all of us could do collectively in our lifetime. Can't you just step in and... Don't you have some miracle, magical wand that you could wave over the situation and everything turn out okay? Do you care about me? I'm telling you, the disciples accused Jesus of not caring because they felt that he was disconnected from their concerns. And they couldn't understand why that he was asleep. There's two things that go along with this thought that you got to realize that God cares. But I want you to understand two things about storms, okay? The first thing is this. Storms are temporary, but Jesus is for eternity. Come on, storms are temporary. They may only last for a week or a month or a year or even ten years. But when you compare that to what He promises us, we realize that Jesus and His promises are for eternity. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.16, that is why we never give up. Somebody ought to write this down. This is a good reference for you when you're walking through the storms. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Listen to 17. For our present troubles are quite small. Somebody say small. And they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Somebody shout forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we will see will soon be over. But the joys to come will last forever. Storms are temporary, but Jesus is for eternity. Check this out and you'll see this as well. But my storm and your storm fell in comparison to what lies ahead. And their temporary nature serves to highlight the permanent, enduring, and eternal freedom from storms that we will experience on the other side of heaven. There's coming a day for those of us who have been faithful in the storms that we will inherit the kingdom of God. And when we step into heaven, that'll be a place where there's no sickness. That'll be a place where there's no heartache and hurt and pain and difficulty and challenges. And when we walk into heaven... When I walk up into heaven and Jesus shows me my my mansion with my Georgia Bulldog flag waving on the front lawn. Somebody ought to help me preach. Now I'm getting anointed. When I walk into heaven, I'm going to realize before I even step foot on the other side of the pearly gate that this is a place that my heart's been longing for. And when I stand before God on my day of judgment and he says to me, J.C., through every storm, you've been faithful. Through every storm. You've been good. And although, J.C., there's been times that you've questioned me, you never gave up hope in me. I'm telling you this morning, church, that storms are temporary, but Jesus is for eternity. If you can endure these temporary storms, there is coming a day where no more storms will blow. I don't know if I'm preaching out loud as hard as I'm preaching in my heart. But this word is for somebody. The second thought is this. Storms are temporary, but Jesus is for eternity. But the second thing is storms give us an opportunity to grow in Christ. 
The Bible tells us in James 1 verses 2 and 4, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. Let me tell you what's unfortunate about Christians in today's church. When troubles and difficulties come, we don't walk around with our head held up high, letting it be an opportunity for joy. We walk around with our head hung down low so that other people can throw us a pity party. I'm telling you that the next time the storms come, why don't you stand on your own two feet? You don't need a pastor. You don't need a prayer team partner. You don't need a youth pastor. All you need is your faith to lay your hands on yourself and say, you know what? I'm not going to let this storm devastate me, but I'm going to let it be an opportunity for joy. When you walk into work on Monday morning and all hell is broken loose in your house over the weekend, what if you walked into that workroom with your head held up high and people say to you, well, I'll thought everything was going wrong. Well, it is. But see, although there's a storm brewing, Jesus in his love lasts forever. And I'm not going to let some temporary storm make me lose my Jesus, nor will I let it lose my joy. Let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance, your spiritual endurance as a chance to grow. So, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will, be, you will be strong in character. And listen to these last few words. And ready for anything. Do you ever think, Leona, that the storms that you've gone through is an opportunity for God to allow you to be ready for anything? Have you ever thought for a moment that the storms that you face, let me tell you, sweetheart, God has seen every tear that you've ever cried on your pillow. He's known when you said, I'm done, it's over. But He's just prepared you to be ready for anything, to be a living testimony to the goodness of God. You want to know the greatest weapon that you and I possess through Jesus? The greatest weapon that you and I possess through Jesus is Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 11. When you can overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, which was when Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. But check out the second half of the passage of Scripture. Not only are you victorious through the blood of Jesus, but also by the words of your testimony. So uh, let me tell you, God does care. God cares more about your character than He does your comfort. I'm telling you, God does care. He cares more about your holiness than He does your happiness. I'm telling you that God does care. He cares more about your faithfulness than He does your fair weather. It's good preaching. I'll preach it to myself. If you're in a storm or going into a storm, you need to know that God is working on you and developing you to be strong in character and ready for anything. I said this earlier, but if he came and he bailed us out every single time we hit a rough spot, when would we have an opportunity to grow in our spiritual endurance? We don't like the storms. I don't enjoy the storms. But if I take on the perspective that when the storm comes, it gives me an opportunity to let joy, unspeakable and full of glory, be developed. So cool, Tamaraba.
The final thought. Sean, if you're here, if you'll come to the keyboard or Pastor Chad. Here's the final thought. Go ahead and scream. Go ahead and scream. The disciples were literally screaming at Jesus. Their frustration had reached the top and they let it all out in the middle of that storm. How can you blame them? Not only would they sink, but inevitably they would drown and die. They were, in, they were in the middle of a storm, confused and afraid, and they were sinking. I need you to know this, okay? Because somewhere along the line, deception has set in. That tells us that as Christians, when we go through difficulty, we can't feel afraid. That we can't feel confused. I know what the Word of God says, and we need to stand on the Word of God. But at the same time, it is natural for you to have questions It's okay to have questions. It's okay to feel the way that you feel. You can't live there. You can't stay there. But it's okay to feel that way in the middle of the storm. Remember what happens when the disciples wake up Jesus because they're frantically yelling at him. When he wakes up, he doesn't yell at them. He yells at the storm. I am completely intrigued by this. You and I, we would yell at whoever woke us up, but not Jesus. Jesus yells at the storm. It's like he totally understood what they were feeling. It's like he totally comprehended what they were going through. And instead of getting up and yelling at them, he gets up and he yells at the storm. Let me tell you about these disciples, okay? They were impolitely and rudely screaming at him and accusing him of not caring. And Jesus took it all in stride. He took it all in stride. You know what? Your best scream at God, I'm pretty confident that he could handle. When they screamed and yelled at him, he took it all in stride knowing that they were scared. He knew they had little faith. He knew that they were confused and he knew that they were tired. And Jesus knows the same thing about you and I. He knows every intricate detail of our lives. And he understands completely how you and I feel when we go through the storms. And guess what? Listen to me. Guess what? He still loves you. He still loves you. Despite those emotions. Despite those questions. Despite those concerns. He still loves you. I've had a lot of storms in my lifetime. Somebody uh, this past week at youth camp, and I know that they meant well, and I appreciated the compliment. Pastor JC, would you pray for me that God would give my life the type of anointing that is on yours? It's the spirit of impartation. But you know what I told him? Nope, because you're not ready to go through the hell that I went through. See, what you all see standing before you today, whether I'm a great communicator or not, I'm just passionate about Jesus because he radically changed my life. I was on my way to hell and he stepped in and he saved me. 
What you see standing before you, right, is a tall, used to be somewhat skinny, man of faith, right? But you don't know all the stuff that we went through. You, you weren't there when every two years somebody else in my family died. Every two years, we could mark it on the calendar. And it started with my best friend. Then it moved to my aunt when she died from cancer. Then it went to my my father. Then it turned around and went to my sister. And then it turned around and went to my brother-in-law. Every two or few years, somebody was dying left and right. You weren't there. You weren't there. I wasn't on staff at this church yet when I was sick in my body. And I didn't feel well. And the color of my skin started to turn that of jaundice. And they didn't know what was wrong. And at a youth camp in North Carolina, years and years ago, right before Kimberly and I, I think we had just gotten married. We weren't long married. And I fell down on the floor after a healing service. After a healing service, I fell down on the floor. They rushed me to the hospital because I had a kidney stone. That one, I won't say little because, you know, if you've ever had a kidney stone, no matter the size, they hurt. But that one kidney stone led them to discover that my blood count was uh, dangerously low. And in that moment, I had to sign a waiver so that they could start putting all types of people's blood in my veins. I don't know what happened, but 20 minutes after I came out speaking Spanish, it was the craziest thing ever. From there, they said, there must be something that is creating this uh, blood count to continue to drop. Test after test. And I'm not talking about fun tests, people. I'm talking about embarrassing, difficult, um, hurtful tests. Until one day, we went to Florida to see my family. And on the way to visit my brother, listen to me, storms. On the way to visit my brother who laid in a hospital bed because he had taken his fiance to the movies one night and they were blindsided by a 17-year-old drunk driver and it ripped his aorta valve from his heart and he's now paralyzed from the waist down, my brother. On the way to see him in the hospital, I fell in the back seat of my sister's SUV and I told Kimberly, I said, I'm about to die. They rushed me to Tampa General Hospital. There, the doctor told my mom, told Kimberly, and told me this. He will not leave here until we find out what's wrong. There, I'm laying in the hospital bed. See, y'all don't know all this, right? I'm laying in the hospital bed in one of the most challenging storms of my life. And I'm expecting people to console me. But I've got my mom, I've got my sister, and I've got my beautiful new bride hysterical in the corner of the hospital room. And I set up every fiber of energy and mustard of strength that I had in my body. And I said, ladies, the Bible tells me in Romans 8, 28, all things, all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. In that moment, I felt like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if he doesn't deliver me from the fiery flames, I'm okay. It's going to be all right. They found a tumor. And my small intestines, and they took, this is probably TMI, but I'm telling you my storms over an inch and a half from my body. I've been there. I've done that. I've bought the t-shirt. And I know that through those storms that God was getting me ready for anything. And I know that he's getting you ready for anything too. You just need to know that he cares about you and he loves you. Here's what I want to say in closing, okay? 
We look at the disciples and we criticize them for running and yelling at Jesus. But what I want to tell you is at least they had the comprehension to go get the Savior. At least somewhere along the journey they realized, wait a minute. He's on the boat. Go get him. The problem with this culture is when storms come, people don't run to the back of the boat and they wake up Jesus. People run to alcohol. People run to drugs. People run to pornography. People run to overeating. At least these disciples had the sense enough to run to the back of the boat. Here's my final thought before I have you stand. When all else fails... And we run out of options. Do we at least have enough sense to go running and screaming at Jesus? Go ahead and scream. He's waiting to hear your voice. Stand with me all over this place. Every head bow. You know what? You don't even have to bow your heads. We don't even have to do that. If you're in this room and there's been some storms that you've gone through or you're going through or you can see them brewing in the atmosphere and you just need God to help you, would you slip up your hand? Come on, all across. Look around. Look around. You know, Kevin, we're about closest friends as friends can be. I'm going to pray for you right here. Stretch your hands right here. In the name of Jesus, I pray for my brother in Christ. Through every difficulty and through every challenge that he's been through, you brought him from glory to glory. God, because of the storms, Kevin, you hear this word, okay? Because of these storms, he's now the man of God. He's now the husband and he's now the father that you destined him to be. Because he didn't give up on you and you didn't give up on him. I know that the altered space is tight. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this word so instead of making your way down to the front Sammy one because of the restrictions of space and then two because of the just ridiculous amount of hands I'm going to ask you to grab the hand of the person right next to you go ahead I like this sister stretch an aisle it's okay stretch an aisle if you feel comfortable Can I just be transparent with you for a moment? I'm tired of coming to church and pretending like everything is all right. See, I know that sometimes you do it, but as a pastor, I feel like I always have to do it. I feel like I can't always respond to an altar service because I'm afraid what you all might think of me. Let me tell you, you go through storms and so do I. But today, in this moment, I'm not going to allow the opinions of everybody else to keep me from pushing towards the cross of Jesus. I'm not going to let my reputation scream louder than my desperation this morning. That hand of the person that you're holding, it might be feeling like they are... On the verge of just losing everything. I want, listen to me, I want you to pray for them 
as if you were praying for your best friend, for your husband, for your wife, for your child, for somebody that you loved so dearly. You may not even know the person that you're holding hands with. You may be holding hands with one of those people that I just named, but I want you to pray for them. Come on. When you're praying for them, I want you to squeeze their hand just a little tighter so that they know that you're interceding for them on their behalf. I wish somebody in this room would get so desperate for Jesus that you would just let out a cry. That you would just let out a scream to let them know that you're going through the difficulty. You're going through the challenge. But when you run out of options, you know that the best option to turn to is the man that they call king. Come on, somebody shout out to God in this place. Hear us from heaven. Hear us from heaven. Come on, you got 25 more seconds before we move on, church. Hallelujah. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy. That the hill would not be hard to climb. He never promised a victory without fighting. But he said help would always come on time. Help. I wish that we would learn from the disciples and from what they did during the storm. They had enough sense to come running to Jesus. Would you just carefully let go of that hand? Look at this last passage of scripture on the screen with me. 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and give all your cares to God. For He cares about what happens to you. Shane, I I want you all to come and I want you to sing. Can I just tell them a little bit about your situation? Shane and Colleen's back there on the soundboard. Only because they have shared this in their testimony and because it's part of the reason of the CD, their latest CD, Beauty Behind the Pain. They had a desire to have children and one miscarriage after another. The storms that you all were in probably raised a lot of questions for you guys. See, the reason I want to use his story as a testimony is because when you stand up here and you see these guys... You see them sing and worship the Lord. You must think, well, they are omitted from the storms. That's not true. They went through storms. They had questions. They had concerns. But today, they've got a beautiful family. A wonderful family together. Four beautiful children. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
when Job went through everything, when he went through his storms and his best friends told him to cuss God and die, when his wife, his own wife, told him that he should just turn his back on God, what did he do? Took off his clothes? I'm not suggesting that to any one of you here today. Shaved his head and cried out, The good Lord gives and the good Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Do yourself a favor this week. Reread the account that I preached to you this morning in Mark chapter 4. But then also take some time and read the book of Job. Because of Job's faithfulness, God restored it. In the end, double. Hear me, double than what he had originally. With every hand lifted high, let's worship the king today. We just want to worship the king. Come on, all across this place. I don't feel like it's appropriate to leave without us worshiping the Creator. Come on, they wrote this song. It's testing for today.